We're live. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Half the Battle. I am Daniel Levy, your host. This show is brought to you by Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com, enter your email in the top right corner, and you'll get the Best Fight Picks sent to your inbox every single fight week. Joining me today on today's very special UFC 189 edition are two gentlemen I consider my friends and two gentlemen I respect very much in the MMA community. First up, James Lynch for the Parting Shot Podcast. How's it going, man? Doing great, man. Glad we got this finally uh, together. We had a little bit of technical issues. Uh, my fault, of course. Uh, we had some internet problems, but uh, glad we're ready to go, man. This is a great card, and I couldn't uh, talk to two better people about this card uh, than yourselves. Also joining us is the MMA state of mind himself, Mr. Bob Voss. Bob, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. Avoiding uh, traffic, trying not to hit people as I am mobile. <laughs> Well, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today, guys. First thing I want to talk about is young prospects in the UFC that, you know, people that aren't too familiar with all the smaller names, you know, some guys we really need to pay attention to on this UFC 189 card. A couple guys that come to mind are Cody Garbrandt, Tomas Almeida, and Alex Garcia. So let's start off, let's talk about Cody Garbrandt a little bit. I see this guy as someone who has good wrestling credentials, a good boxing background. He mixes up his hands real well. If that doesn't go according to plan, you can get that double body lock, take you to the ground, pass position, and pound you out. He's facing a tough Mexican warrior in Henry Briones, who has more MMA experience than Garbrandt, but Garbrandt is heavily favored here. How do you guys see the fight going down? James. I, I see this fight uh, going Cody Garbrandt's way. Uh, you know, I talked about this on Stand Man Ra Radio this week. Um, you know, I just feel like Garbrandt, they're, they're putting him in this fight so it can kind of be another showcase for him, you know. Had a very impressive UFC debut against Marcus Brimage, and I think he's going to follow it up here. Uh, you know, the, the odds are a little crazy right now if I uh, go and check on uh, bestfightodds.com. Garbrandt currently is sitting at minus 630 on five dimes, which I think is a little crazy. I mean, don't get me wrong, this kid is the real deal, but uh, I think the fight's a lot closer than that. Um, but I just think Garbrandt's stand-up, his wrestling, I think all of that is going to be on sh on display on Saturday night, and I think he will get the finish here uh, in, in this fight at UFC 189. Bob? Uh, I think uh, no love's going to get it done. Uh, I think Mr. Paige Van Zandt is going to show what he can do. Uh, he's a better boxer, better wrestler. He has amateur boxing experience. He was a high-caliber uh, high school wrestler. He just has everything going his way, and although his price has dramatically inflated, uh, parlay early on with opening prices, or his in the distance, uh, I believe is uh, minus 160 last I checked. I think that's how he gets it done within the first two rounds. I do agree he gets it done inside the distance. You know, when I look at Cody Garbrandt, I see a guy with great hands. The only issue I would have when you're matching him up with better opponents is that he does keep his hands down a little bit. He does keep his chin up. And in his past amateur career, he actually got laid out a couple times. But ever since he made the switch to Team Alpha Male, he really seems to have turned a corner. And in this specific fight with Henry Briones, I really think he's got the speed advantage, and the fact that he keeps his hands down isn't going to make a difference. So I see him knocking out Henry Briones, and it's going to be a very exciting fight for the fans. Now, moving on, here's a kid I'm very high on, Tomas Almeida. Now, this guy is 19-0 with 18 finishes, but he's fighting one of the toughest guys in the entire UFC roster. You know, Brad Pickett, he's known for putting on constant five and nights. He's known for his chin. So will this be... Tomas Almeida's 19th career finish, or will he get a 30-26 against the tough, gritty veteran in Brad Pickett? James. I think Tomas Almeida is going to finish this fight. Um, you know, you just look at Brad Pickett. He's getting up there in age. He's 36 years old. He is a guy who has, you know, been hit a couple times, uh, you know, rocked and things of that nature. I just don't like the matchup for Pickett at this point. I, he's moving back up to uh, Bantamweight for the first time in 2013. Almeida's on a hot streak again. I think this is another one of those fights where the UFC is you know, trying to showcase their up-and-coming talent. I like Thomas Almeida here. I just think he's only getting better from this point on. 23 years old, just an amazing prospect out of Brazil. I think he gets it done within the distance. Uh, I, just, I just feel like he's going to be too much for Pickett, despite Pickett's wrestling, which I think is being overlooked in this fight. Bob, what do you think? Uh, I think... If this was four years ago, I might pick Brad Pickett. But in the last number of years, especially with the drop to 125 and now coming back to 135, he has aged dramatically in that time. He is much, much slower. Uh, although he has good wrestling, I wouldn't say it's the elite of the division, 
definitely the best wrestling that Almeida's ever experienced, but I still don't think he'll be able to consistently get Almeida down and keep him down long enough to do anything. I think at worst, I agree that it might be a 30-26, but more than likely, I think Almeida's going to put him out early. You know, it's interesting because Brad Pickett, he never has been knocked out in his UFC career, but very early in his career, he was TKO'd, but you know, in the UFC, he's really shown that great chin, and when guys do finish him, they usually drop him and then tap him out. You know, for example, Mayday McDonald, he dropped him two to three times, and you know, Brad Pickett did get that nice uh, blast double, that takedown that you guys were mentioning, and then out of nowhere, Michael McDonald showed off that jiu-jitsu and pulled off that nice triangle choke. And then you talk about that fight with Henan Burrell. You know, Burrell drops him with a very nice combo, takes his back expertly, and chokes him out. So there is that chance that Tomas Almeida could drop him, potentially get a submission, or he could be the first man in UFC history to knock out Brad Pickett. So we don't know what's going to happen, but what we do know is we're about to see a serious display of violence. So I'm very excited for this. Now, another prospect that I think we should mention, you know, he's a guy that's kind of been out for a while, but Alex Garcia, you know, when he first came into the UFC, a lot of people were singing the praises for him. He's a tri-star guy, trains with Rory McDonald, trains with GSP. He's got serious knockout power. He's got some good grappling, too, as we saw in that Neil Magny fight. Now he's fighting the veteran Mike Swick, who's coming off a three-year layoff. And, you know, my buddy Flying Brian, he always talks to me about how when guys are coming off 12-month layoffs, statistically speaking, they're less likely to win the fight. Mike Swick is coming off a 36-month layoff. How do you think this is going to translate on fight night, James? It's not going to end well for Mike Swick in this fight. Uh, I know Swick is going to obviously have the experience factor. He's older, and, and also the fact that uh, you know he's going to have the height and reach in this one. But it just doesn't bode well for him. Garcia hits very hard. They call him you know mini Lombard for a reason. He really uh, does have a lot of power in his shots. And you know his last fight, I know it was a loss, but that was a fight where he hurt himself early in the fight, and he wasn't able to recover, and Neil Magny won a decision. And hey, guess what? Neil Magny ain't that bad of a fighter. I mean, he's gone on, what, a seven-fight win streak right now. Um, you know, Garcia, I think it's his fight to lose at this point. He's catching Swick at a good time. I don't even know why Swick is coming back, to be honest. I just feel like he's, he's you know, way past his prime at this point. I mean, his last win was against Demarcus Johnson, who's not even in the UFC anymore. Uh, his last, you know, fight was against Matt Brown, and he did not look good in that one. I don't think it's going to end well for Swick in this one. I like Garcia inside the distance, uh, probably by knockout, actually. I think the uh, knockout prop right now is actually pretty good value at this point. Uh, if I'm looking at the lines right now, I am seeing that Garcia by knockout right now, if I can do this as quick as possible, is plus 120. you got to take those odds, man. I, I definitely think he can go in there and knock out Swick. What do you think, Bob? Well, I think uh, Alex Garcia is going to put Mike Swick out quick, pun definitely intended. Uh, it's been way too long since Mike Swick even trained with someone that was a quality sparring partner. He's been building his gym over in Thailand dealing with numerous uh, health issues. Uh, he had that bad stomach and food issue for a long, long time. And if you're not sparring with good enough opposition and you're not fighting frequently, you're going to be rusty. Your timing is going to be off, and Garcia is going to come at him fast. And I agree. I think he's going to put him out. I, I do think it's going to be a knockout uh, more than likely. And uh, always good to have a little bit of plus money on your side. No, that's a good point. And I will say this. I have been watching Mike Swick's pre-fight training videos, and I can say firsthand, he is training hard, but training hard, you know, you need a lot more than that to win a fight inside the octagon, especially against a beast like Alex Garcia. So, you know, back in the day, Mike Swick, he worked his way up to that number one contender spot in the middleweight division, and he loses to Yushin Okami. Then he works his way up to the number one contender spot in the welterweight division, and he loses to Dan Hardy. And basically in that fight, he would charge forward. Dan Hardy would counter with that left hook, and it would rock him every single time. Then he fights Paulo Tiago. Paulo Tiago drops him and subsequently submits him with that Darce choke. So one thing I like to say is that the chin never recovers, and as you saw in that fight with Matt Brown, his chin didn't recover. So I think that's going to be the case here. I definitely have Alex Garcia winning this fight inside the distance. The thing you got to worry about with Garcia is that he does tend to gas out, you know, as the fight progresses. His chin is a little bit questionable, but I don't think that's going to make a difference in this fight, and I have him winning in impressive fashion. Now, we are talking about prospects, and one fight to me that's very interesting is a fight between prospect and prospect, and that's uh, Gunnar Nelson versus Brandon Thatch. You know, you talk about Brandon Thatch, and he's one of the biggest 170-pounders in the weight class, you know, the guy's super tall. He uses his long-range strikes. If you get up close, he's got some very serious knees. 
but he's kind of a novice on the ground, as we saw in his last fight. And when you talk about Gunny Nelson, you know, this guy won the silver medal in the absolute division at the Pan Ams. And, you know, that absolute division, that means there's no weight class. You know, for example, Damian Maya, he beat Gabriel Napal Gonzaga in the absolute division. That just shows you what kind of badass this guy is. So if the fight hits the ground, I really think Gunnar Nelson's going to tap him out. But if it stays standing, things are going to be very, very interesting. How do you guys see the fight going down? Bob? Um, I'm huge on Thatch. He's actually one of my most uh, confident picks and plays on the card. Yes, there's always the uh, option for a late submission, probably third round. But although he lost to Ben Henderson, obviously a much smaller guy, he was doing good early, on the early going, stuffing takedowns, getting back up. And his volume is something that I don't think Nelson can handle. Nelson's a very passive fighter. Uh, he uses his uh, wider uh, karate stance, or I'm not sure if it's karate, but uh, his wider stance, uh, more point fighting. He's taking his time. That he is taking his time, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things, I, I, you know, I have to agree with Bob on this fight. I just feel like, uh, you know, a guy like Brandon Thatch, you know, is going to have that height and reach advantage. A lot of people look at the fact that Benson Henderson submitted him, but a lot of people don't look at the fact that that was in the fourth round. Uh, you know, is Gunnar Nelson going to be able to do that in three? I'm not so sure. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people also don't remember that Thatch was winning that fight right up until he gassed. And, you know, a five-round fight is completely different than a three-round fight. I like Brandon Thatch in this fight. Like I said, I think his striking is going to be too much. I just don't see a guy like Gunnar Nelson being able to get it to the ground right away and submit him. Thatch, he was not going to have all that pressure like he did in his last fight fighting in his hometown. He's got a clean slate right now. I think uh, you know some of the hype train is off of him at this point, which I think is good for him. He can go in there, have a smart game plan, and, and, and win this fight. But I think he's going to win a decision here. I think he's just going to pick his shots and get back on the winning track there. And I think that's probably the best method for him at this point because uh, you don't want to rush in there, and, and especially against a, a guy who's as dangerous on the ground as Gunnar Nelson. You know, you guys bring up some very good points, and I'll say this. In his fight with Benson Henderson, I do think he gave him a little bit too much respect. You know, for example, in that first round, he was landing some beautiful uh, boot sweeps, and, you know, Benson was kind of wobbling all over the place, and there was one little moment when Benson's hair got messed up, and Brandon Thatch, he comes over, he gives him a double high five, he gives him a hug, and to mm -hmm. me, that's kind of a red flag. That's kind of a sign of a mental lapse in the middle of the fight. But on the flip side, I heard a recent interview with him, and he admitted that he gave Benson Henderson too much respect, and he's not going to make the same mistakes going forward. So whenever I see a guy admit his own mistakes, that to me is a very good sign of maturity. So we're going to have to see how that plays out on fight night because he is taking on a guy that if Gunnar Nelson gets him on the ground, you know, it could be a wrap. So Brandon Thatch has to know that, and you can look for him to keep the fight on the feet standing. Now, obviously there's two title fights on this card, but before we get to that, we got to address Mr. 3027, Cajal Pendred. Now, <laughs> Cajal Pendred, he's normally the underdog in every single UFC fight he has. This time, he actually opened as a minus 190 favorite, but the money's been coming in on John Howard. Now they're both even money. And usually, when someone like myself bets on Cajal Pendred, it is at dog money. And at this even money, you know, it's kind of tough to say because, you know, John Howard, he is on his way out. He, he already peaked out quite a, quite a bit ago. But he's still a tough guy. He still has a very nice left hook. He's got a good leg kick. And he's good at making these uh, fights, you know, clinchy and dirty. But that's exactly what Cajal Pendred looks to do. He looks to pin you up against the fence, take you down. And even if you drop Cajal Pendred and hurt him, he's still going to win a 30-27 decision. So it's kind of hard to beat this guy. What do you guys think is going to go down, James? I like Cajal Pendred in this fight. Uh, you know, the, the one thing you have to look at, and the reason he has been a dog in a lot of his fights is because he gets rocked a lot. You know, there's a couple times where you kind of wonder, hey, is, is he going to get knocked out in this fight? Against a guy like John Howard, I just don't think that threat is there. You know, Howard hasn't had, you know, a TKO victory over anyone legitimate in, in, since 2010. I think he had a knockout win in 2013, but, again, it was against a guy who's not UFC caliber. I just don't think that's going to be a factor here. Howard's a great wrestler, and he is a guy who is known to play the spoiler before. Remember that fight against Uriah Hall? But uh, I think a guy like Pendred, you know, his buddy Conor McGregor's on this card. I think he's fired up. I think he's ready to go in this one. I think he'll win another another decision here. And I'm with you guys. I think that uh, Howard is on the way out. You know, usually he's very durable and can go, at, at, you know, the, the full distance. But as we saw against Lorenz Larkin, perhaps his chin's gone at this point too. So don't be surprised if Pendred could win inside the distance. But I do like Kapal Pendred in this fight. I think he'll win a decision 30-27. And uh, before we get to Bob, one little thing I want to I wanna point out is that 
you know, John Howard, he is at the tail end of his career. He is a little bit older. But this guy, you know, if he was a little younger, he could for sure fight at 145 or at 155. The guy's five foot seven, yeah. and he's fighting at 170. A five foot seven man beat Uriah Hall at 185 pounds. So, I mean, you know, the guy's a little badass. you got to give it to him. But being a little badass doesn't guarantee you're going to get the victory inside the octagon. And I do think Cajal Pender is going to be able to grind this one out. What do you think, Bob? Uh, it's true he got knocked out. Uh, Howard got knocked out in his last fight by Lorenz Larkin, who we've seen in his last few fights, those two at 170. He seems to be a whole other animal, aggressive again. And that was only the second time Howard's been knocked out in his career. I think he's more than likely a durable guy. But similar to the last fight talking about, he's, uh, he's, he goes long periods of time with being inactive. And Carl Pendred, although he's not the most accurate striker, Although he's not the best striker, he will keep coming forward, he will keep pushing, he will keep pressing, and keep him keep powered on his heels. So I don't think he's going to put him out. Uh, Pendra doesn't have much for power, and I still think uh, Howard's chin's still there. So I actually like Pendra uh, by decision, which is actually at plus money. So I ha actually have a little bit on uh, him at plus 130 for the decision. And you know, one fight that a lot of people haven't been talking about, which I think is the sleeper for fight of the night, is Matt Brown versus Tim Means. I mean, when you talk about Matt Brown, not only is he one of the most exciting fighters in UFC history, but statistically speaking, he's the most accurate striker in the welterweight division's history. He has the most knockdowns in welterweight history. And, I mean, the guy just brings it every single time. You know, he'll get in your face. He'll throw those big punches. If he gets in that clinch, he'll fire off those elbows, those Muay Thai clinch knees. And if you get hurt just a little bit, this guy is going to swarm you and try to take you out. And he's got, he's got such a will to win. You know, back in the day when he used to lose fights, it was via submission. But he totally patched that part of his game up. You know, he has a career turnaround. In that fight with Eric Silva, Eric Silva drops him with a big kick to the body. And he has Matt Brown hurt and wounded. Eric Silva is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He takes the back of Matt Brown. He locks in a fully locked in rear naked choke, Mata Leon. And Matt Brown, back in the day, he would have tapped out. But here, he fought the hands, he showed the proper technique, he showed his heart and his grit, he gets back up, and he destroyed Eric Silva, who's a very talented fighter in his own right. Now he's fighting Tim Means, and Tim Means, he does bring some similar things to the table that Matt Brown brings. You know, he's gritty, he's a Muay Thai fighter in the clinch, he likes to fire those elbows, but in my opinion, he has less output than Matt Brown, he has less cardio than Matt Brown. And if you watch this fight between Hernani Perpetuo and Tim Means, you know, Hernani is a pressure fighter. He got in Tim Means' face, and he was able to win that first round. But after that, he really gassed out, and Tim Means was able to take over. Now, the thing with Matt Brown is he's got cardio for days, so he can do what Hernani did in the first round and carry it on for all three rounds. And if for some reason the striking doesn't go his way, he can always take it to the ground because, you know, he has been working with the Cuban Olympic wrestling team. He has been working with the Ohio State wrestling team, and his offensive wrestling has gotten a lot better, as you saw in the Robbie Lawler fight. So what do you think about this fight, James? I think it's going to be a great matchup. I'm with you there. I think it could potentially be fight of the night. Uh, Tim Means is a gamer. He's looked unbelievable since he's uh, gone back up to 170. You know, he got the you know submission win over uh, George Sullivan. He got the knockout win over Diego Lima. He's looked great. He's a gamer for sure. I see a lot of people picking Matt Brown by knockout. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, Brown is my pick in this fight. I think he's going to get it done. I think he'll just land the better shots. It's going to be one of those you know all-out wars. Um, I, I don't see it ending early. I think this fight's going to go the distance, and that's why I really like the over in this fight. I think that's definitely a good play. Uh, if you look at it right now, the over is at, uh, if I'm not mistaken here, just looking at my uh, best fight odds. Uh, the over right now is only minus 110. I definitely think that's a possibility in this one. Um, but also look at the uh, fight goes to the decision prop. I think Matt Brown's going to win a decision here in three rounds. Get it done. Just strike his opponent. And Means is going to show that he's a gamer too. He'll hang in there, but it won't be enough. Matt Brown's going to have his hand raised 30-27. Mr. MMA State of Mind, what's your opinion on this potential fight of the night? I think it's going to be a lot closer than everyone thinks. Uh, I like to think of Tim Me Some will call Tim Means Matt Brown Light. I like to think of him as Tim Me uh, uh, Matt Brown Light. I like to consider him a Matt Brown 2.0. He strikes a lot similarly to the Muay Thai style, but he loves to strike the body. He loves to punch the body. He loves to kick the body. He loves to knee the body. What fighter can't handle kicks, and knees, to the, kicks knees, punches to the body? 
Matt Brown. I'm not saying Timmy puts him out. I'm just saying he makes it close. Matt Brown is the better wrestler. His wrestling has gotten a lot better, but I would put uh, the better jiu-jitsu skills on Tim Means. And we all know that Matt Brown, for the most part, and the majority of his career, submissions have been where his downfall is. So although there might be an ending, I think Tim Means is going to squeak it out. I'm going to say Tim Means 29-28 decision. Very interesting perspective. Good to hear some differing opinions. And, you know, before we talk about the two title fights, because, you know, we're going to go off on those, but there's a card the very next day, the Ultimate Fighter 21 finale, and, you know, it's headlined by Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who's one of the best strikers in the game, versus Jake Ellenberger. Now, before we talk about that fight, there's a fight that really sticks out between George Masvidal and Cesar Mutanch. You know, Mutanch, he's coming from 185 pounds, and Masvidal's coming from 155 pounds. They're meeting in the middle at 170. And, you know, this is the first fight where the drug testing policy is taking, you know, into effect. Do you guys think that Cesar Mutanch dropping from 185 to 170 has anything to do with the new drug testing policy? James? I mean, it could for sure, yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting to see if he can make the weight. Uh, you know, going from 185 to 170 is always a bit of a tough cut for a lot of guys. Um, it, we'll have to see what happens. I, I think this is a terrible move for for Cesar. I, I don't like the move at all. I mean, uh, you look at the fact that this guy's had chin issues in the past, you know, getting knocked out by C.B. Dalloway, getting knocked out by Sam Alvey. To me, this is a very obvious fight. Um, I, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, George Mospital moving back up uh, to 170. He's fought there, I believe, a couple times in his career, you know, obviously fighting at lightweight in the UFC. But, uh, you know, just the fact that, uh, you know, anytime a guy moves down a weight class, his chin usually is a lot worse because of the dehydration. I think that uh, George Masvidal is going to win this one, and I think he's going to win by knockout. I just don't like those two combinations of Caesar moving down the weight class and also having chin issues himself. I think this is Masvidal's fight to lose. Uh, you know, to, to, you know he, he's, it, it should be his to win, I should say, uh, and getting it done. So I like George Masvidal in this fight. What about you, Bob? Uh, whether it's a drug issue or not, I guess the biggest way to be able to tell is uh, to look at him on the scale. It seems to be one of the best ways to be able to tell, especially when dropping a weight class. Um, but I agree. He's a, he's a man with a weak chin who's going down a weight class, which always makes your chin weaker. So I think any advantage that would be his in size is taken away in speed and chin. And Neymar Zidal has a tendency to not fight up to his potential, not swing when he should, be a little bit more passive. If he really gets after it, he could win, but I still think he could outstrike uh, Cesar very easily. Yeah, you know, George Masvidal, he is one of the most talented guys in the game. The only problem he has is that sometimes he doesn't really get up for his fights. And usually when he loses, you know, aside from, you know, that Toby Amata submission, for the most part, it's usually controversial decisions. And he just loses by, you know, by a little margin. And, you know, if you've watched his past uh, documentaries, you know the guy likes to eat a lot, but he works super hard too. So my question is, is he moving up to 170 pounds because, you know, he's a little lazy, he's a little unmotivated, or is it simply because the weight cut to 155 pounds was too much? I guess, you know, because in his last fight with Ally Kinta, when he's walking up to the scale, uh, Colby Covington's wiping him down because, uh, you know, and then he ends up missing weight. So we know the weight cut to 155 pounds was a lot. And now he's fighting a middleweight at 170. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. Now, another fight on this card that I'm very interested in is the return of Russell Doan. You know, I think that Russell Doan is one of these prospects that we really need to watch out for. You know, he's a tough Hawaiian scrapper, and he's going to get a showcase fight here against Gerald Sanders. So, James, do you agree with me that Russell Doan is going to style on Jared Sanders? Yeah, I do. I really like Russell Doan in this fight. And uh, just looking at the odds here right now, uh, Doan is a sizable favorite as far as I can remember here. Um, you know, he's uh, – I'm just looking at the lines right here. Russell Doan. I don't see him up here. What the heck's going on here, Russell Doan? Oh, here we go. Minus 380 over Jared Sanders. I definitely think the line is in the right spot here. Um, and, and I'm with you. I like how you said showcase fight because I really feel that way. I think it's his time to shine. I just think he's better in every area in this fight, and I actually agree with the you know the betting public at this point. Um, Russell Doan's going to get it done, whether he gets it done by finish or by decision. It's tough to say, but I'll I'll say by finish. Um, you know, he's one of my more confident plays on this card. You know, and I agree with you, James. I do think that this is a showcase fight, like we both mentioned, and. I think he's going to get it done via finish because, you know, Jared Sanders, while he does have that wrestling background, he has looked for a way out. 
in both of his UFC fights. Now, the first one against Yosdeni Cedeno, you know, he didn't answer the bell after the first round. And then the second one with Pedro Munoz, you know, he tapped out within 30 seconds. Now, what I want to know is, where the hell has Pedro Munoz been? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's you know, again, like, like we just talked about there, you know, it's one of those matchups where I think that, you know, don't, it's his to win, you know, hopefully he comes through with flying colors, but uh, the UFC, you know, they're smart when it comes to their matchmaking, they, they want to give guys a nice push, and it seems like Doan is in that position right now. Absolutely, and, you know, just talk about the main event of that card real quick, so we got Steven Wonderboy Thompson, and when you talk about Wonderboy's striking credentials, he was something like 97-0 in his kickboxing career, and, you know, interestingly enough, I went to some local fights last week, and I sat next to Hector Urbina, who fights in the UFC currently, and a couple other guys who are very connected in the scene. You know, my buddy uh, Jamie from Unique Kennels, all, all these guys. And one of the things that they told me was that Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, he went to Black House to train with Anderson Silva and Lyoto Machida, and he beat them up in sparring standing. That's how good this guy's stand-up is. Now, obviously, he's not training with them anymore. Interestingly enough, he's training with Chris Weidman because the one area of weakness that Wonderboy had in the past was the fact that, yeah, he is that amazing striker, but, you know, MMA isn't striking. There's a ground game, too. So, you know, Matt Brown was able to take him down and, you know, beat him up badly on the ground. So he had to address that part of his game. And in doing that, he started training with the middleweight champion, Chris Weidman, for the last two to three years. And in my opinion, we can expect some astronomical improvements in his ground game. Now he's fighting Jake Ellenberger, who at one point, this guy was a scary dude. You know, he'd come out, he'd bomb some big haymakers, and he'd knock guys out early. But after he fought Martin Campman, something seemed to never be the same. He's more gun-shy. He's more tentative. He lost three fights in a row. Now, granted, they were the three of the best, but in his only win, you know, against Josh Koscheck, he was still very hesitant. So we don't really know what to expect from Jake Ellenberger. In my personal opinion, I think Wonderboy is going to knock him out. What do you think, James? I completely agree with you, and I'm really surprised at how many people are picking Jake Ellenberger in this fight. I just don't see it. Uh, you talk about the win over Koscheck. It wasn't very inspiring. I know he got the, you know, he got the finish in that one, but... It's Josh Koscheck. I think at this point we can all agree he is uh, well past his prime at this point. Um, Thompson, like you said, he's only getting better. He spent all this time in the gym with Chris Weidman. I believe he actually got injured uh, in his. Well, he got he got injured in that fight. He was supposed to fight uh, Brandon Thatch, but uh, just goes to show how hard this guy is training in the gym. Um, you know, a dangerous striker against Jake Ellenberger, who's you know been known to have some chin issues in the past. I'll take Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in this one. I too think he will finish this fight, and I think we will see the best Stephen Thompson we've ever seen because this guy is only getting better. Uh, Dan, I, I really feel strongly about Stephen Thompson getting the finish in this one. I couldn't have said it better myself, James. And Bob, are you still there? Do you have an opinion on this fight? Uh, I am. Uh, I originally was going with Ellenberger and uh, put a little bit down on him because it was at plus one eighty. But I immediately regret my decision upon looking at it further. Uh, it being a five-round fight and just. His tentative nature, I mean, he has a chance to put him out, but when was the last time he was super active and willing to strike and throw big haymakers other than the corpse of uh, Nate Marquardt? So I, I'm not, it might be a really boring five-round decision for Wonderboy, just picking him apart with some strikes looking very similar to the uh, Rory McDonald fight, if not a little bit more flashy. Yeah, I definitely think that Wonderboy is going to be able to showcase his stand-up skills because he's a lot more confident now in his takedown defense and his ground game. And, you know, Jake Ellenberger, if you hesitate a little bit against one of these, you know, sniper strikers, it's not going to bode very well at all. So I agree with uh, James. I think that Wonderboy is going to get the knockout, and it's going to be very exciting to watch. You know, it's going to be very eye-opening because, you know, this is the first top 15 opponent he's fought inside the UFC Aside from Matt Brown, which was back in the day, and he lost that fight. And it was a very good effort, too. But, you know, he's addressed a lot of things since that fight. You know, like we mentioned, the wrestling. But another thing that we have to mention is the weight cut. The weight cut really got to him in that Matt Brown fight, and that's something that he's really addressed. You know, his nutrition's better now, and I think he's going to make 170 on the dot. Now, let's go back to UFC 189. So the fight we need to talk about right now is Rory McDonald versus Robbie Lawler. Now... These two guys fought a couple years back, and let me tell you what, that was a hell of a fight. It was back and forth, you know, Robbie won the first round, Rory won the second round. It all came down to the third round, and Robbie Lawler, on the career resurgence that he's on, he showed that 
urgency and that will to win. He came out like a bat out of hell. He drops Rory McDonald, subsequent ground and pound, and he ended up getting the split decision win. Now, James, two-part question. Do you think that that should have been a unanimous decision win for Robbie Lawler? And how do you see the fight between Robbie and Rory going down this Saturday? I think that Robbie Lawler should have won a unanimous decision, and this is uh, coming from a Canadian, so uh, you know, not uh, not favoring either side here. Um, you know, I thought I thought Lawler, you know, did, did enough to win the fight. Um, and then as far as the Saturday, I'm going with Rory McDonald here. And again, I'm not Canadian biased here, but uh, I just like the fact that I, I think Rory with a five round fight. I think, uh, you know, TriStar, the, the gym he trains at, I think they're very good with game planning, and I think that is something they're going to do very well. He's going to, I think Rory's going to try and outpoint Lawler. Um, you know, he can always go to the ground as well, too. I just think Rory has more tools to win this fight. He's younger. A lot of people are like, oh, I can't believe Robbie Lawler is the underdog in this fight. You know, he's the champion. You know what? Rory has looked unbelievable since that loss. I mean, minus the one round he had against Damian Meyer where he was in trouble in the first, Ever since that loss, he's looked great. He absolutely dominated Tyron Woodley. He was the first guy to knock out Tarek Sapanin. I like Rory McDonald in this fight. I think he's winning a decision. I think it's going to go all five rounds. I think it's going to be a close fight. But I think Rory will do enough in this fight. I, I got to go with the younger, you know, uh, fighter. And and you know, I will take Rory's word for it that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't up for that fight, the first fight against Lawler. Um, you know, fixing some mental issues or whatever it was. I think we'll see the best Rory McDonald we've seen. And I think he will be your new welterweight champion here. And and I actually like Rory by decision here. Um, if you look at that prop, I believe it is plus money uh, right now. I'm going to actually just quickly check right here. Uh, Rory McDonald winning by decision is plus 196. I love that in, in this fight. I think if Rory does win, it will be by finish and not by stoppage. Bob, should their first fight have been a unanimous decision for Lawler? And who do you have winning in the rematch? I did have it uh, unanimous for Lawler. Um, at 29-28. Re just rewatched it last weekend just to double check my feelings. Um, I am picking Lawler again. I don't understand why he is the underdog. Well, I, mean, I understand why he's the underdog. People have seen Rory that uh, I think get better and better and better, and he has. But so has Lawler. And one thing I'll be careful with is picking anything by decision. And I saw this when it was first announced, but then I rediscovered it today. Sal Diamato is one of the judges, so it's a very possibility to have another split decision in this fight that could really mess you up either way. But that being said, I'm big on Lawler. I think... Uh, he has gotten better everywhere and really shown that. Uh, he has more diverse striking. He won't be able to be shut down by the simple jab or anything like that. And I do truly believe that Rory McDonald will be champion one day. I just don't think he's going to get through uh, Robbie Lawler. And uh, I actually have to cut out. But I would like to throw out there that I'm picking Chad Mendez to win by knockout. And it was a pleasure being on there by you guys, with you guys. And I hope to be able to do it again. Hey, real quick, Hi. Bob, let, let the yeah. audience know where they can follow you and plug anything you got coming up. Uh, I'm at, at MMA State of Mind. I put out my picks for every single fight um, uh, before the event, usually just before the event starts, and I've slowly started to track my bets, so those will also be posted on there plenty before the event starts if anyone wants to tell me. Cool. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Bob. Oh, anytime, man. I look forward to coming back anytime you're willing to have me. Anytime for sure. We'll see you soon. Now, James, Bye. I think there's two ways of looking at this fight. So, you know, you got the one argument that Robbie Lawler is the champion. He did beat him the first time, so why is he the underdog? But then on the flip side, my argument is that, you know, Robbie Lawler, he's put on a lot of miles since that fight. You know, he's had three five-round wars, two of them with Johnny Hendricks, one of them with Matt Brown, and then obviously he beat up Jake Ellenberger for three rounds. But my point here is that, you know, it's a lot of mileage. It's a lot of wear and tear on the body to go, you know, to have three five-round wars against, you know, some of the toughest guys in the entire division. So I'm not really convinced that he's been getting better in terms of his skills. But what I am convinced is that he's getting better in terms of his mentality, his confidence, his maturity. And he really is starting to take on the role of the UFC welterweight champion. But when you talk about Rory McDonald, you know, ever since that Robbie Lawler fight, you know, prior to the Robbie Lawler fight, he had some very uninspiring performances. But the way I look at that is if you're 22 or 23 years old, you're getting these six-figure paychecks every single fight. You're getting a free car by your sponsor every single fight. It might be a little hard to, to get up for these fights. I mean, just think about it. He's got his life made already. But the Robbie Lawler fight really lit a fire in his ass and – Ever since then, the kid's been on fire. You know, that first round with Damian Maya, like you mentioned, Damian Maya did full mountain, man. Anytime 
a Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion like Damian Maia full mounts you, you're in big trouble. And Rory didn't panic. He showed some serious maturity. He got those nice butterfly hooks. And then the second and third round, he picked apart Damian Maia and absolutely beat him up. In the fight uh, with Tyron Woodley, you know, Tyron Woodley's supposed to be the explosive wrestler with the overhand right, kind of like Chad Mendes. We'll talk about that in a sec. But, uh, you know, Tyron Woodley's supposed to be the one that can take down Rory McDonald at will. He's supposed to be the one that can knock him out with one punch. And Rory McDonald beat the crap out of Tyron Woodley on the feet. And when he wanted to, he took him down. He took down the Division I wrestler. So, And then in his fight with Tarek Safadine, you know, usually when guys beat Tarek Safadine, they take him down, you know, they grind on him because he is a championship kickboxer. What did Rory McDonald do? He leg kicked Tarek Safadine, the guy who's known for his leg kicks, and they subsequently knocked him out in the third round. That, to me, shows big improvements. That, to me, shows his hunger. And I think that in this specific fight, I do agree with you that he can take home a decision. But I also think that there's a chance for a finish. You know, if he takes him down and lands those big elbows, maybe maybe he can get a TKO. Maybe he can even get a submission because I know Faraz Ahabi, he's a master. And, you know, they're working on their game plan so hard. So I do have a lot of uh, belief in Rory. I do think he can get it done. But as a betting man, it's very hard to fade Robbie Lawler because, I mean, the guy – he consistently wins, and he's a very scary athlete. So that's my opinion on that fight. And, you know, now we got to talk about the main event of the evening. This is what everybody's tuning in to see. Casual fans want to see this fight. I say it's because of Conor McGregor. I, I think that's a pretty well-known fact. And, you know, let's talk about this fight for a second. Before we break it down, in your opinion, did the UFC disrespect Jose Aldo by creating an interim title? 100%. I mean, the guy's not even up for that long, and they're already going to talk about an interim title. I mean, they did this because they wanted to put Conor McGregor in the main event with, uh, you know, with having the title, even though, as I pointed out to you on Twitter a little while ago, uh, the UFC has done a main event before without a title fight. Um, there was the Tito Ortiz card, and Tim Sylvia and Andre Arlovsky were on the uh, the main card below them. So it has been done before, but I think it's just uh, the UFC really wants Conor McGregor to win this fight. That's what it looks like to me. I think that they, the reason they have the interim belt is to just, you know, kind of make the fight that much bigger. If it was just Conor McGregor fighting, uh, you know, a catchweight fighter or whatever, I, I don't think it would have the same appeal. But I think that's the route they should have gone. Personally, I think uh, you're going to create a really big problem here if Chad Mendes wins the fight because then Mendes has got to fight Aldo again. And I think nobody really wants to see that uh, trilogy fight right away. I think we'd rather see it down the line. You know, Edgar hasn't fought Aldo since 2013. That, to me, would have made more sense from a sports standpoint. Uh, but I get it from an entertainment standpoint. But yes. 100% it's been, uh, Aldo's been disrespected from the doctor saying that, you know, the, the, the supposed doctors that said that he wasn't hurt and that he could have fought to just the fact that this is an interim fight. Uh, it's amazing how UFC will quickly turn on their champions, especially ones uh, like Jose Aldo. Now, I see both sides of the coin here. I completely see your points, but here's another point I want to make. So a lot of people were talking about Dana White, you know, quote unquote, trashing Jose Aldo. Now, here's what Dana said. Dana said that Jose has pulled out of five title fights, and he said that they spent millions of dollars on the promotion for this fight. Now, in my opinion, that's just facts. That's mm -hmm. the truth. He has pulled out of five title fights. They did spend millions on the promotion for this fight. So that is what it is. Now, as far as the interim title fight is concerned, you know, you do bring up some very good points about that. But on the flip side, Jose Aldo, you know, he has pulled out of many fights like we've mentioned, and the doctor said he'll be ready to go in October. Now, if you think about it, his last fight against Chad Mendes was in October. That's going to be a full year that the guy's been out. And not only that, there's no guarantee he comes back in October because he could always pull out again. So I see both sides of the argument. You know, Jose Aldo, he is one of the most dominant champions in UFC history. He is the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter. But we, we don't have a guarantee that he's going to come back and fight anytime soon. So it's kind of a slippery slope here. And I see both. But, but sorry, I, I, will, I will just add in there, though. I think Aldo has been one of the more active champions. Yeah, he's pulled out of all these fights, but I think he's been one of the more active guys. Um, you know, I brought this up on another show. You know, he fought four times for the WEC in 2009. I mean, that's a lot for a guy who was a champion. And, you know, he hasn't lost. I think you, you owe him that much, you know, a little bit more respect than that, especially when you have guys like, you know, Dominic Cruz. It took them forever to strip his title and, and you know, make the interim title. So I think they're, there are other examples which would kind of prove that. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, it sucks that 189, you know, that he had to pull him out there. Um, you know, but but it's happened before. You know, Cain Velasquez had that big card in Mexico. He got injured. I know they did make an interim title fight there, but I'm just saying, it, you know, it happens all the time. This is what happens when you have guys training at a high level. But again, I do see your point of it, um, but I do feel like the UFC could have handled this a bit better, especially with the way they treated Jose Aldo. One thing that you and I can both agree on is that 
McGregor versus Aldo needs to happen. I mean, oh, yeah. that's, that's the fight all the fans want to see. And stylistically speaking, it's just so intriguing because we've never seen Jose Aldo take on that high-level striker. You know, you know, Mark Hominick, okay, whatever. But Conor McGregor's that next-generation striker. You know, he's not just a, a boxer with forward pressure like Mark Hominick. You know, he's got the a big striking toolbox, a big arsenal. And that's, that's what's really intriguing about the fight because – most of Jose Aldo's UFC wins are against short wrestlers, and now that's a very hard style to beat. So you got to give Jose Aldo all the credit in the world. His takedown defense is amazing. His leg kicks are amazing. He's beating guys like Chad Mendes and Frankie Edgar. But I'm very curious to see how he does when someone is as good or better at him in the stand-up area. What do you think about that, James? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think uh, you know McGregor brings a lot of different tools to the table. You mentioned his unorthodox style, but how about his mental game? I think he mentally beat Dustin Poirier even before they got in the ring or in the cage, I should say. And uh, you know Poirier is proven to be a great fighter. Look at the way he's performing right now at lightweight. I mean, uh, that that was a legitimate win for Conor McGregor in my opinion. But again, you know half the battle in this uh, combat sports game is the mental part, and McGregor's got it down to a T. You know he's a guy you can tell when they do the embedded series and things like that he thrives off this other guys they buckle when the pressure comes around and, and that is one uh, feather in mcgregor's cap that i think separates him from the rest of the division but uh, overall i just think he you know he brings a lot of intrigue to the division and that's why this fight with chad mendes is so close because of the fact that mcgregor has all these these kind of these unknowns like we don't know how he's going to do against a guy of, of mendes's caliber so it's really tough to say and that's a very good point james and nice little plug of half the battle there this is the first ever episode of the half the battle roundtable so you know everyone that's watching i really appreciate that now james one thing i want to ask you is conor mcgregor in chad mendez head now let me let me tell you why i'm asking you this mm -hmm. not only did chad mendez send out some tweets in portuguese to jose aldo trying to be buddy buddy with the guy that derailed his dreams twice mm -hmm. but I mean, doesn't Chad Mendes want to be the champion? Doesn't he want to beat Jose Aldo? Why is he trying to be friends with him? Now, listen, I understand sportsmanship. After the fight is over, you give your competitor a hug. You say good job. But then you go on your separate ways. You don't try to be buddy-buddy with someone that wants to derail your dreams. So I didn't really understand that. And also, at the press conference, it definitely seemed like Chad Mendes wasn't acting like himself. He's not a trash talker. And he was going out of his way to kind of talk a lot of shit to Conor McGregor and uh, I don't know, man. He looked like he was turning red a little bit. He looked like Connor's in his head. What's your take on this? I don't know. I, th I think it's tough to say that. Um, you know, as far as the tweets to Aldo go, I think they just care. You know, share a common thing, and that they, you know, they don't want Conor McGregor to win this fight. I don't think there's anything too wrong into that. I'm not a psychologist, but uh, that, that's just kind of my take on it. And, and I think the other thing here is just the fact that you know, Mendez. What a lot of people aren't talking about as far as his mental toughness. That guy went into Brazil twice to fight Jose Aldo. That that takes some balls. And in his last fight against uh, Aldo, the the you know the second fight that they had together, um, you know he went the distance with Aldo. No one has pushed Aldo that much in a fight before. I don't really count the Mark Hominick one because uh, you know as I think we all knew uh, Aldo had some issues going into that fight. So I look at that fight with Chad Mendes as kind of being the best test for Jose Aldo's career. And I think Mendes is very mentally tough. I mean, just look at the fact, Dan, that, that you know Mendes is a guy that you know you see him in the off season or when he's not fighting, he's still in phenomenal shape. That to me says that this is a guy who's constantly thinking about fighting, constantly thinking about competing at a hot, high level. Um, I don't think it's a factor in this fight. I think Mendes is, is, is you know, mentally strong, and I don't think Connor is in his head at this point. That's a very solid point, James. And you bring up the fact that Mendes, he does have some serious cojones on him. I mean, he goes to Brazil to fight Aldo twice. Not only that, he steps up on two weeks short notice to fight Conor McGregor in, I know it's Vegas, but I want to call it Ireland because most of the tickets – are from the Irish and it's going to be a very hostile environment for him. You know, he's going to walk in and an Irish flag is going to be dropped on him in his walkout, kind of like, you know, what happened to Dustin Poirier and all throughout fight week, you know, at the open workouts, the crowd booed him and it's going to be very interesting to see how he deals with it. But you are hundred percent correct. The guy has uh, some serious courage mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's going to be a great fight. Now let's talk about how they match up stylistically. You know, obviously we all know, you know, McGregor, he's the taller guy. He has the eight inch reach advantage. He has the striking advantage, but you know, he doesn't have any wrestling credentials, and that's what Mendes exceeds in. He's a Division One wrestler with knockout power, so it's a very intriguing stylistic matchup. How do you see it going down, James? This is, a, this is the toughest fight on the card to pick, in my opinion. I, you know, I could see Conor McGregor winning this one. You mentioned the height and reach advantage. Uh, you mentioned, you know, kind of the mental toughness that he has as well, too. He's got great striking. 
I just think that Chad Mendes, I mean, you have to give him the advantage here. I, I am surprised. I mean, I, I'm surprised and I'm not. You know, I understand, obviously, Conor McGregor is very popular. That's why people are betting on him. But I am surprised to see Mendes the underdog in this fight. And if you look at the line right now, he's up as high as plus 158. I mean, that is insane. It would not surprise me at all if he goes to plus 200 here. It's just, it's insane to me. The thing I look at here is, is this, you know, Chad Mendes, former NCAA Division One wrestler, was known as a wrestler. If you look at all of his early wins, they were by decision. He would just totally out, you know, kind of out wrestle his opponents and things like that. And then all along the way, he developed a really good stand-up game and he was knocking guys out. And I just feel like in this fight, so many people are not looking at his last fight with Ricardo Lamas. Ricardo Lamas is a top contender, a guy that also went five rounds with Jose Aldo, a guy that has had very impressive wins himself. And what did Chad Mendes do? He knocked him out in the first round. That to me is very impressive. The thing is, Chad Mendes not only is, in my opinion, has he fought better competition, but he's finished a lot of these guys. He was the first guy to knock out Clay Guida in the UFC. He's uh, you know the guy who knocked out Ricardo Lamas. And I know Lamas has been knocked out before, but that was earlier in his career. You know the champ Jose Aldo couldn't even knock out Lamas. So. I do look at the fact that Mendes has better wins. I think he trains with a great camp. I think he's a guy that's game. You know, even if he did have a shorter training camp, it doesn't mean he's not in shape. It's, he's not a guy who balloons up to 200 pounds or something like that, like Johnny Hendricks does. You know, he's a guy who's constantly in shape. I think Chad Mendes is going to use his wrestling. And, and I think, you know, even if uh, striking fails him, I think he can always rely on the wrestling in this fight. I see him winning a decision. I don't think he's going to submit him. I don't think he's going to knock him out. I just think that Mendes is going to do more in this fight. And I think McGregor's not going to know what hit him because uh, I just feel like he hasn't faced the type of caliber of opponent as Chad Mendes. But saying that, it would not surprise me either if McGregor was able to use his reach, frustrate Mendes, and potentially get a knockout himself. So if you guys are looking to bet, I think there's two options here. I think you hedge it. I think you do Mendes by decision, which is plus money, and I think you do McGregor by knockout, which is close to plus money, or at least uh, you know very um, you know very good odds at this point. So I think that's the way to go if you're going to bet this fight. But you know, just for myself personally, I'm going to sit back and enjoy this one as a fan. I love both these fighters, but I do have to go with Chad Mendes in this fight. You know, and that's a very good breakdown. If you're trying to make a case for Chad Mendes, those are the exact points that I would make. You know, that's that's a very good argument. Now, I want to make an argument for Conor McGregor here. Mm -hmm. So, in my opinion, every once in a while, there's a guy that comes around that's just different. You know, you think of Anderson Silva. You think of John Jones, Anthony Showtime Pettis, a guy that just stands out from the pack, and he does things that aren't the run of the mill. He does very unorthodox things that not everyone else does. And, you know, a lot of the times when you get these, you know, these hybrid strikers, these very unique guys who throw unorthodox techniques, you know, the, the hook kicks, the tornado kicks, the crescent kicks, usually they're able to do that kind of stuff because they're super confident in their ground game. You know, you look at uh, Anthony Pettis, like I just mentioned, he can fire off those kicks on the feet because if you take him down, you know, unless you're Rafael Dos Anjos, but, you know, Usually if you take Anthony Pettis down, he's going to be attacking immediately off his back. You know, for example, Jose Aldo, he doesn't have a wrestling background. But when you take this guy down, he pops right back up. Kind of reminds me of a junior Cigano Dos Santos. You know, back in his prime, you take the guy down, he gets right back up. And I think that Connor, his outlook on the game, his mental fortitude is perfect because he knows what he needs to improve on. And, you know, if you look at his two losses outside the UFC – you know, he gets taken down and immediately his guard gets passed and immediately he gets tapped out. I mean, it looked like a complete novice. I heard an interview with him. He said that back then he thought he could do MMA with only a striking background. I mean, and boy, was he 100% wrong. So he made the proper adjustments and he showed his maturity by, you know, he's got John Kavan, a second degree black belt in jujitsu. He's got his seven time Moldovan national champ uh, wrestling coach helping him out on a daily basis. And Everything we've seen from McGregor on the ground in the UFC has been exceptional. You know, for example, he takes on Max Holloway, who currently is one of the toughest guys in the world. Now, before I talk about that, let me just say, a lot of people are going to say, oh, but Max Holloway wasn't the man he is now back then. And you're 100% correct. He's way better now. But that doesn't mean he sucked back then. He was still a stud back then. He was coming off that fight with Dennis Bermudez where a lot of people thought, he beat Dennis Bermudez decisively. Somehow lost. He beat Dennis Bermudez, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, when we talk about that fight, you know, Dennis Bermudez wasn't able to take Max Holloway down until the very end of the third round, right? Max Holloway would stuff all the takedowns. Conor McGregor not only did he beat uh, Holloway on the feet for the first round, but he took him down at will the second and third round. He took him down at will way more than Dennis Bermudez did. Now, I'm not saying he's a better wrestler than Dennis Bermudez because obviously Bermudez has the wrestling credentials. But what I am saying is that. MMA grappling and pure wrestling are two completely different things. And I really think that Conor McGregor has added a very high level of MMA grappling to his game. You know, you see that uh, that knee slice pass he does 
to pass to full mount. And that's some stuff that only guys like Damian Maya do. You see the lateral drop he hit on Diego Brandao. Yes, that is Diego Brandao, but still, you don't hit lateral drops inside the octagon unless you're a very high, highly skilled fighter. So I don't think his ground game is you know, novice like many people like to point it out to be. And the thing with Chad Mendes is when he takes guys down, he doesn't usually look to pass guard. He doesn't usually look to land big ground and pound. When he hurts guys, it's on the feet standing. Like you mentioned, the fight with Lamas. You know, he feints perfectly and he throws that big overhand right. And man, when Chad Mendes cracks you with that overhand right, you know, there's a good chance you're going to sleep. But as far as this fight's concerned, I don't think that he's going to be taking as many chances on the feet against McGregor. I think he's going to want to get this one to the ground. And I think McGregor can either pop back up or do what Carlos Condit does, which is throw those big vicious elbows from his back. So I do have Conor McGregor winning this fight, and I am going big on him. I'm either going to win big or lose big. I'm leaning towards win big, and I think he's going to be the new UFC interim featherweight champion. So it's a very good fight. I see the arguments for both sides 100%. I'm just so damn pumped for this fight. So am I. Let me just mention here, i got to give you props, Dan, because you're a guy that, uh, you know, in the past, you, you've not been afraid to take uh, underdogs, and, and i got to give you credit. I know you and I were both high on Anthony Johnson against uh, Daniel Cormier. That one didn't go our way, but I like how you're confident in this in this pick and going all, going all in and not trying to play it safe, uh, you know, from a betting perspective. So just want to give you some props there because uh, I think that's something that uh, people don't give you enough credit for. Well, cheers, brother. I really do appreciate that. And, you know, one thing I want to talk about before we wrap this up is let's talk about the fight to watch on this card and the fighter to watch on this card. So first, let's do UFC 189. Mm -hmm. James Lynch, who is your who is the fight to watch? What is the fight to watch? For UFC well, 189, it, it's one that we mentioned earlier, and and it's uh, you know the the fight actually it's, it's a fight that we haven't even talked about. This is a fight that I think could really steal the show, and uh, you know it's two guys coming off losses, and that is Jeremy Stevens and Dennis Bermudez. A lot of people are split on this one. I know I, I believe you and I kind of share the same pick on this one as far as uh, going with Jeremy Stevens. I could be wrong, but uh, at the very least, I think this is going to be a fantastic matchup that uh, is kind of flying under the radar a little bit. I mean, it's hard not to with McGregor on the card, uh, but I just feel like you got two guys coming off losses, two guys looking to prove themselves. And the featherweight division right now is wide open. I think uh, this is this is a potential fight of the night candidate. Uh, Stevens likes to stand and bang. Bermudez is a guy who's got really great wrestling. A lot of intriguing, uh, you know, stats in this one. But uh, I, I really feel like this could steal the show. And obviously, uh, you know, I got to give a consolation prize to uh, Matt Brown and Tim Means. I think that will also be a candidate for fight of the night. And who is your fighter to watch at UFC 189? Well, that's got to be Thomas Almeida. I, I had the pleasure of getting to watch him uh, front row at UFC 186 when he absolutely dismantled Yves Jabouin at uh, UFC 186. Uh, this guy is a special talent, 23 years old, seems to have a good head on his shoulders and has vis vicious knockout power. I think he's going to impress again here today, and we're going to be talking about uh, a guy who potentially could be a contender down the road in the bantamweight division. You know, and I completely agree with the, both those picks. For me, the fight to watch, you know, obviously, let's take the main event out of the picture because – that's the fight everyone wants to watch. Even the casual fans are tuning in to see Conor McGregor, and now he's facing a wrestler. So the wrestler question will finally be answered. But for those that don't know about the other fights on the card, I really think that you know Thatch versus Nelson, that's a yeah. fight to watch right there because two prospects, you know, they both seem to have high ceilings. They're both highly skilled in their respective areas. Like we mentioned, Thatch is an incredible striker. Gunny Nelson's incredible with his Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So – that's such an intriguing style matchup for me. And then obviously, like you mentioned, Matt Brown versus Tim Means. I mean, that's the early on-paper candidate for fight of the night. Now, when you talk about the fighter to watch, you mentioned Tomas Almeida. You kind of stole my uh, my fighter to watch. I mean, this kid is absolutely incredible. He's The way he mixes up his striking, you know, he's, he really uses that R to eight limbs, the Muay Thai. You know, he'll have those big straight punches that are crisp. Once you start blocking up high, he'll go down to the body. He'll throw the leg kicks. If you start running away, he'll throw a flying knee. I mean, the guy is incredible. He's the guy to watch on this card. Another guy to watch is Rory McDonald. I want to see what kind of improvements this guy's made since his first fight with Robbie Lawler. Obviously, we've seen, you know, in the Damian Maya, the Tyron Woodley, the Tarek Safadine fights. But now he fights the man that dropped him on his ass in the third round last time. Let's see what kind of adjustments he's made. Let's see if he can become the new UFC welterweight champion. Because like Rory's mentioned many times, the belt hasn't been defended since GSP you know, uh, vacated his belt. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. Now let's talk about the fight to watch for the tough finale. What's your fight to watch? Well, uh, this card, obviously, I mean, it's tough you know, because it's stacked up against uh, UFC 189. So the card isn't very strong. Um, 
you know, the, the fight for me, I, I think, has to be the main event just because of the fact that, you know, does Ellenberger still have it? Is he still considered a contender in the division? We don't really know. I mean, I, I you know, I didn't when I set my breakdown there, you know, I feel pretty confident in Thompson, but Ellenberger's a guy who has been known to surprise. I mean, he has got some impressive wins in his career. It's hard to say, but, uh, you know, I, I just feel like this is your typical veteran versus prospect, even though I believe Thompson is actually older than Ellenberger in this fight. But as far as fight years go, uh, you know, Ellenberger is, you know, the savvy veteran in this one compared to Thompson. Obviously, Thompson had a, you know, extensive kickboxing background. But is Steven Thompson the real deal? We've been talking about this guy for a while. If he can get an impressive win over Jake Ellenberger, I think we could potentially see another contender in the division. And conversely, if Ellenberger wins, he's a guy that, hey, remember me? Remember I was a contender? You know, that that's going to erase the memory of the Roy McDonald fight and all those other losses he had and I think it would propel him back into the contender spot absolutely and who's your fighter to watch Hader Hassan actually I like this guy a lot um you know he fought the one time in Titan but I remember doing a write-up for Titan and I, I had the chance to watch a couple of his old fights um you know and watching him on the ultimate fighter he is a guy that I think uh, does have a pretty big ceiling trains out of that great camp with American top team uh just a guy who gets it you know we don't say that too often with fighters but uh, he's a guy that you know has the personality has a very exciting fight style he's a guy that I think is, is someone to keep an eye on and you know the ultimate fighter has been pretty lousy when it comes to producing good good talented fighters just look at the uh the, the past or the, you know, the season before last uh, with, uh, you know, Diego Lima and all and Corey Anderson and all those guys. I mean, they haven't really lived up to, to kind of their, their billing, but I think Hader Hassan is a guy to keep an eye out for. I, I definitely, I think he's a guy to watch going forward and a guy that we should be keeping our eyes on. Yeah. Hader Hassan is definitely a beast and he can knock anyone out. You know, interestingly enough, he is an underdog for this fight. I think the reasoning behind that is the fact that Usman you know, he is a little more well-rounded. He can get the fight to the ground. But if Hader Hassan lands one of those bombs on your chin, you're going to sleep, man. So I definitely see where you're coming from with that fighter to watch. Now, as far as I'm concerned, my fight to watch is Cesar Mutanchi versus George Masvidal. It's just, you know, you could say it's kind of a freak show fight, but, I mean, they're both highly skilled fighters. And it's so intriguing because, like we mentioned earlier, you know, Cesar Mutanchi, he is dropping that from 185. George Masvidal is coming up from 155. They're going to meet in the middle. Not only that, there's a bit of a backstory. It's ATT versus Black Zillion. So you know right. they have that rivalry. You know they really want to get this victory for their teams, for their own careers. Because, I mean, both of them are coming off losses. Whether the George Masvidal versus Ayakinta loss was controversial or not, my bet ticket on uh, Al Ayakinta is still cash. So he is coming off a loss. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in that one. So that's my fight to watch. As far as my fighter to watch, you know, you could make a case for Steven Wonderboy Thompson, but I'm going to go with Russell Dunn. You know, I think this kid, you know, he's coming off that fight with Yuri Alcantara where he took him down like seven times, but on the feet, you know, Yuri's an absolute beast on the feet. But now he's going to get to have this little showcase fight, and I think he's going to make a big statement here. So Russell Dunn is my fighter to watch. What, what's your opinion on those two? I like both those picks. I think he can't go wrong. Uh, you know, we talked about Don a bit there. I think this is a kind of a coming out fight for him uh, that people are really going to get to see his skill set and maybe a guy that we can start talking about uh, down the line as someone to, to keep an eye on. Um, definitely can't go wrong with either of those picks. Uh, yeah, just uh, I always respect your opinion anyway. So it's uh, it's it's nice to see you uh, give Don some props because I think he's a guy that definitely deserves it. Yeah, he's great. You know, he trains out of a great camp. He's got great uh, partners such as Max Holloway, you know, Yancey Medeiros, all of those Hawaiian warriors. You know, they come to fight every single time, win or lose. So I got nothing but respect for those guys. Now, James, I really want to thank you so much for joining me on the first ever episode of Half the Battle. You know, we got to wrap things up. So just go ahead, give any shout outs and plugs. Tell me what you got going on. And yeah, let the audience know. Uh, absolutely. Well, first off, uh, Dan, I really appreciate you having me on the program. I'm glad we could get this worked out. I was a little worried there when my internet was going down, but uh, we're, we're all good to go. I uh, hope everyone enjoyed the show today. It was, it was a lot of fun, and I'll do this anytime, man. I really uh, love talking about the fights. People can get a hold of me on Twitter at Lynch on Sports. Uh, check out the Parting Shot podcast every Sunday, although I should mention this week because of the Tough 21 finale will actually be on Monday. We've got a jam-packed show. We're going to be joined by a pair of Titan uh, fighters that will be competing on the card on Friday. we got Anthony Gutierrez, who will be taking on Brett Johns for the Bantamweight title. And then we have uh, Titan uh, lightweight champion um, Pat Healy, who will be fighting Mike Ricci on that Friday card or Saturday card as well. And uh, two really great interviews. And then, of course, we have uh, one championships uh, bantamweight champion, Bibiano Fernandez. He's also got a fight next week. So tune in for that. And uh, I should mention, we're also going to be joined by one of the co-hosts of Stand and Bang Radio. Fred Kirby is going to be joining us to break down all the action from this past weekend. That'll be Monday night. Check it out on MMA Oddsbreaker. And can't thank you enough, Dan, for having me on the show.
Of course, James. And, you know, just for everyone, if you haven't heard the Party Shot podcast, this is one of the best MMA podcasts in the game. You know, every single Sunday, I look forward to listening to the Party Shot podcast. This week, like you said, it's on Monday night, so make sure you tune in. Now, as far as my shout-outs are concerned, you know, I want to thank James for coming on the show. I want to thank Mr. MMA State of Mind, Bob, for coming on the show. And I got to give a couple shout-outs. You know, the Cage Cash guys, they just had me on their podcast this week. You can check that out on the MMA Report, or you go to SoundCloud or iTunes, and you subscribe to the Cage Cash podcast. You can check that out. Obviously, Unique Kendall's, he sponsors my podcast, Flying with Best Fight Picks. Every single fight week on Wednesday or Thursday, depending where you are on the globe, the Flying with Best Fight Picks podcast comes out. Myself and Flying Brian, we break down the entire card start to finish, and we let you know which bets to place, who to put on your counter move team, your UFC pick them, the whole enchilada. So we take care of you. Go do that. Obviously, uh, Go to bestfightpicks.com, type your email in that top right corner, and I'll send you all the best fight picks every single fight week, okay? No charge, no BS. It's all free. I'm trying to give back. You know, I'm trying to share the wealth here. So if you want the free picks, the best fight picks in the game, go to bestfightpicks.com. So I know there's a lot more shout-outs I have to give. I always forget them. But every single person that supports me or supports best fight picks, Flying Brian, James Lynch, the Party Shop Podcast, you know, Everyone in this MMA community, in the MMA Twitter sphere, I truly, sincerely appreciate it. I'm very grateful, and thank you guys so much. We'll be back next week for the second edition of the Half the Battle Roundtable. So watch out, guys.